Many of you are new to me and I am new to you and I hope that after the service we can introduce ourselves to each other. I've known Pastor Van for many, many years and Janet. In fact, I was trying to remember if even they had Tasha when I first met them. And so it's been a long time. And uh, Brother Al, this, this brother here said that Pastor Van last week said an old man was coming to preach. Is that correct? <laughs> what? It's all relative. It's all, to you maybe. <laughs> to you. Uh, yeah. Well, no wonder Van got out of town. How many of you know the name Johanny Capessi? Yes. Thank you for supporting our work in Malawi, Africa. And uh, our hearts are pounding. And we just received news two days ago that Johanny's brother, Elamia, is coming to the United States. He's on his way. He's going to go to Word of Life Bible Institute at Scroon Lake. Your church is one of our fine, supportive churches in making all those kinds of things possible. And maybe you'll get to meet Elamia before he uh, finishes his schooling here this year uh, up at Word of Life. So thank you for doing that. And this young couple, you know, unfortunately, but maybe fortunately, you have someone here today. I see all these uh, flags that the church is supporting in missions. Well done. But my heart pounds for Africa. And uh, this couple that were up here today, they need to go to Africa. And I want you to... How many of you will make sure they get to Africa? Put your hand up right now. Make sure that money comes in. Get them on the field. Those dear folks need them. So you, you do what you can. I'll remind the next service. But get those two folks out there. 200, what, $2,500 left? That's, just do it. Do it. Get them on the field. And your, your church can do that, and you bless their lives, and the Lord will continue to bless yours as a congregation. One of my favorite videos in the Bible of Jesus is found in the book of Matthew chapter 9. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Matthew? It's the very first book of the New Testament. If you're near someone who doesn't have a copy of Scripture or maybe isn't that familiar with it, maybe you can help them. First book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9 is a a favorite video of mine of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, the Bible records him doing something that's incredibly important to all of us. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching, verse 35, chapter 9, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. Why? Well, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. What a step from his address to ours. What a limitation of himself to live among us. And when he came, he wasn't angry. He didn't come to condemn. He came to love. And he went out. And he went out to where we live. 
And he learned names and he touched people's lives. People who had leprosy. Maybe people who had AIDS-like diseases. People who were certainly spiritually sick and dirty and filthy. And he got hungry and he got tired and he got dusty. And he was mobile now only by means of his own feet or a good mule. And he went. And he touched people's lives. And the more he knew us, the more he had compassion on us. didn't matter what we did. Didn't no matter how long we did it, didn't matter what the consequences were, he loved the people and had compassion. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, let me tell you something, guys, the harvest is ripe. Do you believe that? Do you know that most people who live in the world do not know Jesus as their Savior? And that includes the neighbors and the friends and the students and the co-workers who live and work and study near you. They don't know anything about how the great love of Christ has been expressed. And many of them, according to the scripture, are ready to receive that good news. Aren't you glad somebody came to you with the good news via radio, television, or in person, or at church? Aren't you glad? Have you ever sat and thought, what if somebody never came to me? People are ready to be harvested. The issue is not whether there are unbelievers who live in this community or your community who might not know Christ. That's not the issue. There are lots of unsaved people. The issue isn't that. The issue is who's going to tell them. So Jesus said, here's your plan for evangelism. Pray, ask God to send harvesters into the field. And you might be the answer to somebody's prayer. Somebody in California may be praying that you will share your faith with a friend right here in town because it's their grandkid. Somebody in Iowa may be praying for somebody who moved here. Somebody may be praying in Indiana. Somebody's praying, Lord, send somebody to my relative, to my friend who needs Jesus. As many of you pray, that someone might share the gospel with your loved one or friend somewhere, sometime. It may be you that are supposed to be that harvester. That, you know what a harvester is? A harvester is not a person who causes life. That's God's business. We can't bring life to the seed. We can't make it grow. We can protect it a little bit. We can watch over it a little bit. We can water it. We can participate. A harvester is a person who stands there with their bucket, ready to pick and pluck that which has been ripened by the Spirit of God and then preserve it and cause it to grow and make seed and do it all over again. Harvesting isn't so hard. You just got to know where your bucket is and you got to realize that that's who you're supposed to be. Why do you think you're on planet Earth, Christian? Harvesting. Jesus did it. He asked us to do it. Send more workers into the field, Father. I was in junior high school when my father, who was a foundry worker, he, he actually made patterns for wheels for trucks. And what, what you did was he, he, he drew this and then they, they would create a mold 
and, and then they would put this mold and surround it by sand, and then they would pour molten steel into the mold, and, and they would make the, the rims that the tire goes around for trucks. As you see the, the, the trucks moving on the road, it's the metal part. My father designed those, and he worked in a hot foundry. In fact, the people around him nicknamed themselves foundry rats. They were a rough crew. I worked there one summer. Tough stuff. And my dad loved the Lord, and he worked, he would work 12 hours a day, six days a week. He'd get up four in the morning, go into work, come home five in the evening, and go to church, and be involved. And you never knew how hard he worked until I went one summer and worked with him. And that guy worked hard in a hot, dirty, sandy, awful place. And so you can imagine when one spring my father said to us, that is my mother and my sister, four years younger than me, red, bright, red, curly hair, freckles on her face, that he had gotten good news, we're having a family meeting. So we all got in the living room. He said, guess what? I've been awarded four weeks vacation the entire month of August. And... We are going to go as a family away, and we're going to have a great time. Susan and I were just ecstatic. We knew what we were going to do with Dad's vacation. We could see ourselves living with Mickey for a month. I don't know how your family takes vacations. Our family in those days, you, 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 you hooked a camper. You know what I mean, camper? A trailer on the back of the car, click-click. And you drove and you, you slept in the, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and that's what we would do. My father said, no, stop, no. We must pray about what, pray, what do you need to pray about? Nope, he said, I'll get back to you. Oh, man. I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> when in about four or five weeks, he came down the hall after a brief moment with mom. And mom looked pert near to tears and dad was beaming. He said, family meeting, we gathered in the living room. He said, I have decided where we're going to spend a month, the month of August, uh, family vacationing. Where, Dad? Corbin, Kentucky. That's how I felt about it, too. (laughs) Corbin, Kentucky. Home of Colonel Sanders. In those days, the freeway didn't even go into that area. It was terrible. What did he mean? His sister, my Aunt Virgin, married Uncle Bill. And Uncle Bill and Aunt Virgin, with their eight children who were poor in Dayton, loaded up their car, moved from Dayton down to Corbin, which is a long drive, And my Uncle Bill said, okay, he was starting to go blind. He had a tumor on his leg. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to live off the land. He was born and raised in that area, so he took the family back to that area. And what did that mean? He drove down this road, up a logging road, overlooked a mountain and said, I'll buy it. The idea was they were going to harvest the wood off of the land. And then put some crops in there and live right off the land. As he was paying for the property, the old farmer who owned it said, But Bill, where will you live? And Bill said, What's that? And the farmer said, Well, it's my unfinished two-car garage. And Bill said, Sold. We'll live there. And so he moved the family into a one-room shack. And they cut off the back of an old bread truck and moved that up against where the garage 
door should go, and that became the family closet. They put bunk beds in and threw blankets over them and bookcases, and those were the walls. There was no running water. There was a little well about from here to the street, the road that you turned off of to come into this parking lot. You had to walk to. There was a hole in the ground. And that hole was a tube. Some of you old-timers know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a pipe coming out of the ground, and then there was this contraption with a pulley and a chain, and you, 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 the, the tube went down the hole, and then it, it, you would listen for the gurgle. And that meant it was full of water, and you would, that was the water. There was no bathrooms, no electricity, of course, no television, no nothing. When they got down there and established themselves, they were Old Order Nazarene. My Uncle Bill was a voluntary associate pastor at the Old Order Nazarene Church. They loved Jesus with all their heart. They told everybody about Jesus because that's all they had to tell. They got down there. The church folk helped them out a little bit, but they realized that the property could not sustain itself with the limited lumber that was there. It was exhausted in no time. So they decided to put a crop in. Well, what grows in that old red clay in southeast Kentucky? Well, let me think. Hmm. There's only two crops that grow there. One is tobacco. Ain't no old order Nazarene pastor going to grow tobacco. No matter what people say about it. The only other thing was my Aunt Virginia found out that cucumbers grew well there. The Heinz Pickle Company would send anybody who would do it free seeds through the mail. And then if you planted the seeds and the seeds came to maturity, uh, those cucumbers, why then you would harvest the cucumbers, go to the fairgrounds in the summertime, and then you, 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 you would throw the cucumbers on the shaking machine, and Pittsburgh would call and say what size they wanted that day, and you could, you, they became pickles. And you, you, you could work, well, they did, from sunup to sundown, and, and take these pickles in and take them in and take them in. And if the shaking machines were told, oh, we only want this size, they threw everything else away. It was a gamble. So my Aunt Virgin took their one horse and hooked it up to a plow they had. She took the neighbor's plow that she borrowed and hooked the kids up to that one. <laughs> and she plowed out several acres and planted it in cucumbers. Guess what month is harvest time for cucumbers? August! My father was saying, we're going to spend a month in Corbin helping them pick pickles. This was one unhappy camper right here. Junior high kid, no way do I want to do this. I mean, I was mean and furious. His dad hooked the camper to the back of that car and filled it up with all kinds of food stuffs to take down to them. My little sister was sitting back there, and we're right. There wasn't anything else to do but hit her in the stomach every now and then. We turned off the route to get there and up that old logging road. I thought the camper was going to bounce right off of the hitch. It's, we're going up big red cloud of dust as we move up the mountain to their shack. And as the car, I mean the people out working in the fields, which was the kids and my aunt and uncle, they could see the cloud coming before we ever got there. Hot and humid, disgusting. 
And as the car stopped, Dad and an old Buick had power windows on it. And I, I, the windows were down. We were all like dying of humidity. You couldn't run the air conditioner for pulling the trailer and climbing the mountain. The red dust was coming in. You had it on your skin. It was on your, you could taste it. It was gritty. I see my mom like <laughs> out the window. We stop. And just then I look and here comes Uncle Bill out coming from the pickle fields. Now let me tell you what poor people don't have. Laundry. Showers, soap. I'm trying to get the window up. Useless. Dad had turned it off. Uncle Bill reaches in. He grabs me. I'm in the seventh grade. Oh, we're so glad you're here. And I'm thinking, yeah, I went out of this place now. That night we set up the camper. So hot, not even a breeze. That was the first night that I thanked the Lord that my dad snored just for the breeze. This was not my idea of vacation. It was not my idea of living. It was not my idea of a lifestyle. This was foreign to me, disgusting to me, interruptive to me. You're in Matthew. Turn to the Matthew chapter 28, to the back of the book. Matthew chapter 28, last chapter, Matthew 28 verse 18, Jesus himself, the one who had been touring and ministering and touching and meeting people in the villages said this, Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I am surely with you always to the very end of the age. He still loves to go with us to the harvest field. No one here, not me, not nobody, could imagine coming from his address to ours. Must have been more than a challenge. Dusty, dirty, poverty, spiritual poverty. And Jesus said, I want you, you, to go into the harvest field. It's not a request. It's a command. But we don't live like that. You know what they've got, Dave? What? Tattoos. And and they, they put stuff in their skin. And I don't even understand their language. They say they're speaking English. Couldn't tell that to me. And they they don't even eat our food. You should smell what they're cooking. And they don't look like us. Jesus strategized a plan. I want you to go. And I want you to go to all the nations. 
even if going to all the nations are the nations represented on your street, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, or at your school. Go to all the nations and teach them and lead them to me, baptizing them. Do what I would do because that's where I will be with you always. That night was so miserable. I remember, you know that blue time in the morning? You know what I'm talking about? I, it, I, was, I slept, our, this camper had this overhang. You know what, I'm, up the front of it on top, it was a bunk bed. And you know what I mean? And, and it, so I would stay up there. And I remember it was that blue time in the morning, very early, and I could hear somebody moving around. It was dad trying to be quiet but being very unsuccessful. And he's getting dressed, and, you know, I hear him, and he opens the tray, and then there's this metal step, and out he goes. And mom is close behind him, same routine, and I thought, if they're getting in that Buick and starting the air conditioning, I'm coming too. (laughs) So I quick get down the ladder and go, and dad had parked the camper where the back of the camper was really just a panoramic window, the whole back. And I opened the drapes. The bed was still warm from where mom and dad had been sleeping. And I looked in that blue time in the morning, and there they were. They caught up with each other, and they're walking hand in hand. And then they bent down, and they picked up some old... Now, I'm going to say this. I'll have to explain it in a minute. Some of you old-timers like me, I guess Van thinks I'm an old-timer. You wait till I deal with Van. They picked up old lard buckets. Now, the old ones are like, yes, yes, amen. I know what that is. Uh, Kids, a lard, the people had cooking oil that was lard. Today, it would be like a kitty litter canister. You know what, kids, I'm talking about? The plastic with the wire handle. And the church people would collect these buckets and bring it to my Aunt Virgin, and she had hundreds of them, and they would put it out along the road, and you would grab a stack of them, take them into the pickles, and you would pick the cucumbers, which are going to become pickles, and then you would, you would, you know, kind of pass them back, and then my Uncle Bill would come with a truck, and they would load the, and they would just do this all day, cycling and cycling. And so mom and dad are picking up a, a bunch of buckets, and they're swinging it, and way out there, I could see... Well, I could hear first Uncle Bill first whistling, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And I thought, yuck, that's ridiculous. And there was my Aunt Virgin, old order Nazarene. She had dressed down to her ankles, long hair, beautiful. She had it up on her head and she wore this bandana and she would get up and push her back. And then she'd take that bandana off and, oh, her face was all brown from the red clay and in the sun. And And then she'd put that back and she, I mean... I'm not kidding, from before the sun would come up till they couldn't see anymore. They, they, her, they, my little cousins were kindergarten and less, and their job was to make peanut butter sandwiches and draw water from the well and bring it back. You didn't come in till you couldn't see anymore. And I don't know, the, the old timers here will tell you this, cucumbers literally will grow overnight. And so if they kind of wanted the medium size, you, you had to work hard. You're talking about acres with 10, 12, 15 people working the whole thing. I couldn't believe this. 
And I thought, as a junior high boy, ain't no way I'm having, this is not my idea of vacation. And I shut the drapes and went to bed right there. Well, that old hot Kentucky sun came out because it's August. And that camper became a toaster oven, let me tell you that. (laughs) But it was much cooler in there than being out there. The pickles, they're disgusting. I thought, so I opened the drape. I am not, uh uh-oh, here comes my father. He's walking very purposefully to the camper. And I'm thinking, I got to do something. I, I got to do something. Because you see, what I had been doing while they were picking, my dad had bought a block of ice and put it in this little refrigerator thing we had in the camper. And mom had laid a, a, a thing of crispy cold milk in there. And then on the third drawer on the right, I opened up fresh bag of Chips Ahoy cookie. And I was sort of eating Chips Ahoy cookie and drinking cold, cold milk, watching them all pick pickles, thinking I could do this for a month. And then my dad's coming, and I'm thinking, I gotta ditch this stuff fast. As I'm trying to put it away, he came, he didn't come to the door. He came up to the window. Son, are you what are you doing in there? I had to think very quickly. Well, Dad, I mean, well, Dad. I'm just laying around. What's the matter with you? I don't know. I'm so sick. You're what? Yeah. I <coughs> Very sick. Are you going to come out here and help us or not? Dad, I would, but I'm afraid I would collapse or faint in the field and just be a burden to all of you. Okay. And he walked away. <laughs> I got the cookies back out. I got the milk back out. But I saw him go by mom. That was not good. She threw that bucket down and whirled around. Boom, 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 boom. She's coming to the camper. I'm putting everything away again. She too didn't come to the door. She just came to the window. All right, what's going on in there? Mom, I know you're worried about me. I'm not so worried. What is the matter with you? I don't know. It, it's, it's very bad. Well, you were fine yesterday. I know, it came on so suddenly. Are you going to come out here and help us or not? Mom, if I did, I might give it to other people. <sighs> All right. And off she went, and out came the cookies and milk again, and I'm sitting there. As a believer and as a Christian, life really is like living in a camper. It's supposed to be. This is not home. We are ambassadors for a kingdom to come. We are not citizens of this planet, nation, or community. We are passing through. We are supposed to be a people who can answer the call, where are the harvesters? Here we are. If you have a camper, if you've got cookies and milk, it is not for you or me to sit around and get spiritually fat 
and to get spiritually disconnected with the very harvest field that God has rolled your camper up to and parked you at. How dare we leave our front doors and think of them as home? And how dare we see our property line as a place that no unbeliever should ever cross? For every believer here has been given a camper and has been given milk and cookies for the purpose of strength and mobility to be in the field. That's why we're here, to glorify Christ and to win the lost and disciple them to Jesus. Why in the world do you think you've been given the health and resources that you have been given? So Jesus laid upon us in Matthew 28 a command. Go into all the world. That is not a request. And it's more than a strategy. It's a command. If you don't know where your bucket is and there ain't anything in it, and you're full of milk and cookies today, looking out of your picture window, watching someone else do the harvesting, you are sinning. Against the Lord. But Dave, I'm not an evangelist. My main thing is to pray that Billy Graham will never die. Oh. You don't have to be an evangelist. Most people aren't. It's a little harder to find, but I want you to start moving back in your your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Get to the Timothys. We're going to find the little book of Philemon. Okay, so if you get to 2 Timothy, then Titus. Philemon's so short, it has no chapters. Philemon. You know, as I was sitting there watching my family out there picking pickles... Something began to happen to me as a junior high kid. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. Has there ever been a time in your life that you knew exactly and precisely that of all the people in the world that you alone and by yourself were the most despicable person on the planet? That you knew you were wrong. And I I was eating those cookies and drinking that milk and I'm watching out there and and suddenly I kind of got focused on my father. I had visited the foundry as a kid. I knew what kind of world that was. And here's a man who works in heat and filth and dirt and sometimes very mean and nasty people six days a week, 12 hours a day. And what does he decide to do with his month-long vacation but to give it away and to be out helping his poor sister and family to do more work and to be out more uncomfortably than he would even be if he had just stayed at home? kind of love is that? And then I looked at my Uncle Bill and my Aunt Virginia and my cousins. It wasn't very fun for them either. See, if they didn't do this, they would not survive the winter. This wasn't something they chose to do. This wasn't fun. Other kids were down at Cumberland Lake and, and, and splashing in the water and other kids were out goofing around, but these kids were picking pickles all day or making peanut butter and jelly and drawing water. This was not fun. Now, at night, oh, the music around the campfire. 
the praising of Jesus, the storytelling. It was great. But something happened to me. I thought, well, I'm the biggest creep in the world. I do love my family. So I took the milk and I threw it in the refrigerator. And I put the cookies in the drawer. Wham! And I'm getting dressed. Oh, immediately you break into a sweat. And I get out of the trailer and I slam the door. Wham! Well, the, the red dust lifts off of it and everybody looks up. Oh, I am so mad. And I, and I go out there and I find the dumb buckets, pick the buckets up. You go out there and the leaves of the cucumbers are covered with dust and the... The cucumbers are prickly and you... Oh, there goes a snake and I hate snakes and garter snakes all over the place. And I put the bucket down and you pick up... Oh, the, the cucumbers are like dusty and now your hand's wet and now everything's muddy and I don't like to have that dry... And it's like prickly and you get chiggers and I, I hate this whole thing. And I throw the cucumber out and it bounced right out. <laughs> and in my fury... I didn't realize I had landed right next to Aunt Virginia and she got up and pushed her back and she took her bandana and oh she and she says they call me Davy and she said Davy sweetie come here Davy what <laughs> Well honey I, just come here what Well and she she drew me to herself She said sweetheart I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for giving up your vacation, coming down and help us, because if you didn't, we wouldn't get through the winter. How much you must love us to do this. (coughs) I fell in love with her (laughs) and my whole family. All over again. I made a goal. I was going to pick more pickles than anybody in the whole world. (laughs) Philemon, Paul cries out with the heart of the Spirit of God and the practice of Jesus. He says in verse 6, I pray that you, believer, may be active, active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. The person, be they a student or a senior, that goes out and shares their faith and participates in watching the miraculous work of Christ, changing and transforming a life, and then taking that new baby Christian life and helping them to grow, begins to understand what's been done for them, that we too were designed for hell apart from the work of Christ. And we begin to realize the great truths that we maybe didn't even know we had still in our mind. And we begin to learn the Word of God and we begin to be salt and light. Let me tell you what's wrong with America today. Whatever it is, it's not going to be fixed by a convention or by Congress or a president or better financial situation. The only way that America has hope is that harvesters will get back in the field and that Jesus will lead people to get picked and then preserved. 
The church is the issue. We have mature, born-again, Bible-believing people who refuse to leave their campers and put their cookies away. Paul says, I'm praying, I'm pleading the throne of grace that the believer might be active in sharing their faith. You don't have to be an evangelist. You just got to show up with your bucket and tell the story of what Jesus did for you. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to memorize scripture necessarily. It's helpful. You don't have to have a gospel track necessarily. It's helpful. All you need to do is show up and tell them what Jesus did to you. You know why? Because he's already prepared them to hear the message. They're ready to be harvested. And it's a family thing. It's a Jesus thing. For us to lock ourselves in our campers with alarms and to hoard the cookies and milk for ourselves is an affront because Jesus and the apostles and the church were commanded, leave there daily and go. Seemed like time went so fast after that happened. Pretty soon we were packing up the camper. What we did, we went to church with them. And Uncle Bill preached that Sunday. You think I holler? I don't know if you've ever heard an old order church of the Nazarene man preach. They don't even breathe. <laughs> it was a wonderful time. And Dad, we were leaving on Sunday. He had to be at work. At 5 a.m. on Monday, it was a several-hour trip. So just before the people closed in music, we snuck out, but the family came to meet us, and there were hugs and kisses. And I'm sitting in the back of the Buick, said goodbye to my aunt and everybody, and dads begin to pull away. And he looks in the rearview mirror and goes, well, now what is wrong with you? Big tears running. I don't want to leave. My mom said, well, for what? She said, for goodness sakes, it took you forever to decide to stay, and now you don't want to. No, I want to live with them forever. That was summer. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Their oldest son got married around early Spring before Easter, and it was Easter. Easter Sunday night, the senior pastor said, Bill, my Uncle Bill, I want you to preach the evening service. So the family did what they always did. They piled into my older cousin's car. He had a 1957 Chevrolet that he kind of fixed up in 1969. But the family only had that car and an old truck, so they all got in the car, and they drove to church. And Uncle Bill preached a sermon about being people who shared their faith, the good news of the risen Savior. And he asked everybody at the end of the service to come and hold hands. They made a circle around the church, and he led them in a prayer, Lord Jesus, help us to take the best thing we've ever known and have to a world that's dying. They got back in their car, loaded up. One of the men in the church said, hey, Bill, 
why don't, why don't you stop by the ice cream stand? I'll pay for you guys to have a, an ice cream cone on the way home. So they did. While they were doing that, across the mountains, past where Aunt Virginia and Uncle Bill lived, a couple, a boy and a girl, unmarried, because they were teenagers, and she was graduating from high school. So her dad said, I'm going to buy you a brand new car, and he did. But her boyfriend was so jealous, he had fixed up his car. And so as they were getting ready to wind down on that Sunday night, the boy said, I'll race you home. She said, you're in for a time of your life. So those two kids started out. Now, in 1969, on those back hills, there were no streetlights, of course, and no even lines on the road. But those kids knew those roads. They'd been driving since they were 15. And it was dark and rainy. As my Aunt Virginia and Uncle Bill and now their six kids in the car were driving home, trying to see out, the car was all steamy. They're sitting on each other's laps, laughing. As they began to come up the hill to turn left into their old logging road, the girl and her boyfriend had been speeding who knows how fast. And he would get ahead of her and she'd see his taillights and vice versa and off they would go. And just as my cousin Steve was getting, wham! I'll never forget the phone ringing that evening. My dad sitting down looking very ashen and him saying to the police officer, All of them? When we went down for one of the last times to a funeral with eight bodies, people that we loved, as a junior high kid, I remember that people were lined up as far as the eye could see, on every side of the street to get into the funeral home. National news networks were there for the first day. More people came the second day. More people came the third day. And I was there when the funeral director raised his hand to everyone, came out the door and said, folks, enough, enough. This is the end. People were waiting in line as far as you could see to pay their respects. And he shut the door. A little old man bent down and looked at me. I was sitting on a parking stump with my other cousins. And he said, son, are you family? I said, yes. He goes, well, I can't come to the funeral. And I guess I can't go in there. But he said, I wanted someone in your family to know that it was your Uncle Bill who led me to Jesus. And I'm, I'm so grateful. When he did that and people realized what he did, Everyone turned and started doing it again and again and again and again. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 begs a very important question today that I'm going to ask all of you in a moment. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to be willing to find your bucket and report to duty to the harvest field. I'm going to give you a vehicle today to respond. 
But I want you to examine this question first in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Romans 10, 14. How then, verse 14, can they, unbelievers, call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've never heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You can be the poorest family in town, live in a shack, have no deodorant and laundry. But what you have is so precious and so exciting that everywhere they went, They talked about Jesus and people were convinced that he's all they needed. I went back several years ago and did a film documentary there. You can download it off of Netflix. It's called Pickle Pickin'. And after 30 years, I interviewed people who went to school with my elementary-aged cousin who's now with the Lord. And these people are now 40, 50, 30 years old, and they still weep and talk about how Bev tried to invite them to know Jesus. As the girl shared with Beverly her sandwich, because Beverly didn't have a sandwich that day at lunch. I met old people in their 80s and 90s who would just paralyze and tears run down their face in Corbin, Kentucky, who are living today, who say, that family was a light in our community that's gone. Maybe we've got too many cookies and too many locks on our camper. Maybe we have forgotten. Maybe you don't even know where your bucket is. Maybe you get up in the morning and think you don't need to realize you're in the harvest field, but somebody needs Jesus who lives near and around you. You may not lead them to Christ. That's Jesus' business, but they need to hear. The Bible asks, how are they going to know if somebody doesn't tell them? How can they believe if they don't understand? But Dave, I don't, what would I say? I'm not an evangelist. So just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Just show them what he's done for you. And the Lord will use you. Just open your mouth and be friendly and tell them about the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, if it is, and get your bucket ready. Because pickles need to be picked so they'll be preserved. Now, I talked to Pastor Van. He asked me to give this message. And what I want to do today is this. I want to give you a response time. Is there someone in your life that Jesus will put on your heart to share your faith with? And then if that person comes to Jesus, are you willing to help them know how to grow in their faith? So I have suggested to Pastor Van that for the next couple of months, you be in a pickle-picking project. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and ask the Lord, who? Who, Lord, would you have me share with? And I'm pretty confident he is going to place somebody on your heart. You may not know their name. There's a little aged couple in their late 80s in Winchester, Virginia, who thought, we don't get out, they don't hardly drive, we hardly know anybody. In fact, everybody we know is church and believers. Who could God ever... And as they bowed their head, 
the Lord put someone in their heart. Well, he's a little deaf. And so when I asked them to do what I'm going to ask you to do, and that is to fill out a slip of paper here in a minute, he was curious as to whether the Lord had laid something on his wife's heart. And so he leaned over and he said, Who has Jesus put on your heart? And we all heard it. She goes, Shh! She said, The mailman. What? The mailman! Oh, me too, he said. There was a mailman who drove this little mail truck at the end of their long lane. And some of you live in environments like this. And it was their little daily exercise to walk, you know, the 300 feet or whatever it is down to the end of their lane to pick up the mail. And they didn't know him. It was the only visitor they ever had. And so they hit upon sticky notes. And God had put it in their heart. So every day, he or she would write this mailman a little note about their story and about Jesus. And they'd put a little scripture in there and put it in the mailbox. And the little old man said, we'd get going and we'd get down there and shoot, he'd be gone every time. But the sticky note was gone. And they kept praying and praying, Lord, it's all we know how to do. Now, I've preached in that church since. I've met these people and I have their story on record. One day... Months later, ding dong, it was the mailman at their door. It was dead of winter. They let him in. He said, sir, ma'am, I'm your mailman. The old guy goes, well, what in the world have you been doing? Because we can never catch you. (laughs) And she said, did you get our notes? He said, oh, yes, they're all sticky noted on my cubicle at the post office. He said, that's why I've come. He said, last night, a friend asked me to go to church with him. And he said, I I matched his story with your notes. And he went and he said, I asked Jesus into my heart. And he said, I've come to ask if you two would be collected by me and come tell my wife and my kids, because I don't know exactly how, but I want them to be saved. And he cuddled those two up in their coats, drove them over, and the old man led the rest of the family to Jesus. When I was at that church the last time, the entire family was sitting with the old couple. A lady came to me today who has heard me give this message before and said to me, and I didn't know that, that after the message, she too had led her pickle to Christ. I want you in a moment to go before the Lord. You may not know their name, but just say, Lord, who? It might be the kid that delivers the paper, the person you work with, the mailman. It's surprising who got, and kids can do this too. And you might just write in a minute, your description of them because you don't know their name. But in a moment after you pray, I'm going to have the ushers come with pencil and paper and they're going to give you two pieces of paper if you want to do this. And you're going to write your name first of all and then the name or description of the person the Lord's laid on your heart. Keep a copy for yourself. The second copy you're going to bring to Pastor Everett. He's going to collect them and you're going to make a pickle-picking list here in the church. And Pastor Van or others are going to get up in a week or two and begin to say, okay, did you pick your pickle? Are you trying to pick your pickle? And so he's going to come. He's going to say, okay, let's see. uh, What was your name? Jim. Let's say God lays on Jim's heart his buddy Bob. And so Jim writes Bob. And so Pastor Van, in a week or two, you're going to have a big pickle list that the whole church can pray about. And he's going to get up and say, okay, is it Jim, did you say? Okay, Jim, how's it going with your, your efforts to pick the pickle of, of Bob? And, and Jim's going to say, well, I... Hey, where I was, I was what, 
Jim, we didn't quite hear that. Well, I was, you know, and I got, I, 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 I didn't. What? You, you chickened out? And I want this church to grab the heaviest hymnal you can find. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, he might say, I had an opportunity and I, and then I want the whole church to stop. Lord, please, that's okay. We've done that before. We believe this is by your design. Help Jimmy reach Bob for Jesus. And, and, but I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you about this church. If he walks in and he's got a guest with him, a guy that looks like it could be Bob, you're all going to go, I think it's his pickle. <laughs> now don't call people pickles. And you're going to walk up to that guy and you're going to say, Hi, I'm Dave. Who are you? I'm Bob. And you're going to go, it's his pickle. <laughs> and if Van says, anybody after the service who wants to know Jesus? And, and Jim and Bob walk down the aisle. And Van goes to him and says, well, Jim, who's this? And Jim says, well, this is Bob, my friend. He was on our list. I, I brought him to church today. And, and Van says, did you ask Jesus today, Bob, to be in your heart? And Bob goes, no. No, I did that last night with Jimmy. I just came to thank the church. You know what even the Fellowship Bible Church will do? Woo, woo, woo! Yes. Yes. Our baptistries are too dry. Our buckets have been forsaken. And we're filled with milk and cookies. And God's not blessing our disobedience. You want to see a wowser time in your life again? Get out and start picking some pickles. Let's stand together. Ev, would you close our time? What a great morning to be together. And what a harvest we have. Let's pray for one another to be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ and work in the fields. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy that you've shown us. Saving us. That we have the hope. Of our future with you. The hope of heaven. The hope. Of always being in your presence. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Father help us. To have the courage. To be faithful and to share, and to work the harvest. So that people will know, so that people will understand that they need a Savior. Thank you, Father, for challenging us in this way. May you find us faithful. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.